Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, equipping us to grow into a deeper walk with Christ. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. You might know that I've recently released a book. The book is called Public Christians in a Secular Age. Leadership for Season Change. Well, our special guest today, who's returning for another great segment and discussion about a very important topic, is an expert in organisational change. And having read my book, Christina Dean, who leads Uniforte, has identified some key concepts about how Australia is becoming deeply secularised and she's applied her expertise to some important issues at hand. In my book, I introduce the idea that the future of faith requires Christians in business, ministry, and media not to bow to being secular, but to reimagine life and activity according to God's higher purposes. If a season is to change from being secular and what I call disenchanted to being Christian, re-enchanted, leaders in business and organisations need to prepare for change. The culture we create, the products of our work and the leaders we raise up will be shaped by our success or failure to align with God's plans and purposes. Well, our special guest, Christina Dean, leads Uniforte, specialising in business transformation and is an organisational change management expert. Christina is a leader in change management, having pioneered the first Australian nationally accredited educational qualification for change management, a diploma of organisational change management. Her work has received wide industry acceptance and has been globally adopted. Christina Dean, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. It's always lovely to be here. Well, Christina, we've had some great conversations of recent times, and I'm expecting today is going to be a really, really good and practical and powerful opportunity for people to be able to connect with what they do in their workplace, and especially if they are the leader in their workplace, the leader in their uh, their organisation, and it could be even department leader if you are a public servant or wherever you might fit as a Christian, as a person of influence. These things are very powerful. In fact, I feel a little bit like uh, having written my book and uh, you have a copy and you've had a read through it and I feel like a little bit of a prophetic voice, maybe a prophetic voice crying in the wilderness, but then recognising your special gifts of being able to bring about organisational change and the ways that you are able to equip organisations to do that. It really is a practical element of something which might be a little more philosophical. Just to bring that, uh, you are able to make real change happen. You bet. Um, I'd been working in an organisation for quite a long time and uh, I could see all the uh, the dramas that had happened. I mean, I devoted the first, you know, probably about the first 15 years of my working career in organisational change in the government sector and I could see nothing but hurt and pain and injury and frustration and a lot of money being wasted um, I remember one particular project, uh, you know, they had been working for four years on on some technology and they hadn't had a single deliverable, but it had cost them $80 million already. And I thought, this is 
this is awful. This is awful. And there are just so many ways that they could have been doing it in such a way that they would have been saving money, saving people, saving themselves a lot of frustration and uh, saving a lot of taxpayers' dollars, by the way. Failure and hurt, when that's the outcome of spending tens of millions of dollars uh, in government departments, and the same sort of thing could be happening in uh, private enterprise, uh, where tens of millions are being spent, and because there's no moral, ethical idea of direction, uh, in other words, a secularization. Uh, rather than a Christianization, then you've got all sorts of things where people are hurt. Exactly. Well, actually, it's um, it, um, it, it's actually not even secular or Christian. Uh, the main reason why we don't manage change very well is because we get terribly self-important and we often decide that we're going to make decisions for somebody else. And that's where the real problem starts. And that's can happen to you, it can happen to me, it can happen, certainly happen to a lot of my bosses where they just assume too much and they don't go into the consultation process to really find out the facts. So in that area there, it's a human thing to do is to sort of think that they're right. And this is the thing, isn't it? Uh, where the human thinks they're right and they're the only uh, level of measure for what is good and what is right. Mm. Uh, this is actually creates all sorts of problems for us. As Christians, we mm. come back to a biblical foundation mm-hmm. and we say, God ultimately tells us that there are some absolutes that are good and right. If we sweep those aside and we make ourselves the measure of what is true and what is good, mm. uh, we're actually headed for all sorts of challenging times because people are again being hurt. Well, that's right. And you see that in today's society, you see it when, you know, when people think that they're right and then, and therefore if they don't get their own way, then they start to abuse people. You see that in domestic violence issues. You see it in uh, the workplace where somebody thinks that they're right and so therefore go, they're going to have their way. We've seen it in America, um, you know, with that debacle that happened in January 2021 where they stormed, stormed the White House. Um, just because one arrogant person thought that he was right. And he's leading them all, you know, down a wrong pathway. And he's not stopping it. Well, I'm going to invite listeners to join in our conversation today. You might have your own story to tell. You might have your own perspective on where we're at in Australia. What it is that there is a deepening secularization in the governance and in the leadership, whether it's a state-run organisation or whether it's a private enterprise organisation, you might have your own perspectives. In my book, I talk about season change. And so to apply some practical wisdom to the thought that this is how complicated it can get when we're starting to talk about changing seasons, Christina, because there is a deepening of secularisation, which, uh, which I describe as a deepening winter. And, you know, for listeners who might be familiar with the Narnia Chronicles, uh, written by that wonderful author and philosopher C.S. Lewis, uh, where he describes uh, the land of Narnia as being under the thumb of the White Witch. And, of course, what happens under her governance and leadership is that the whole thing turns to ice. And it is a winter, uh, dreadful, uh, very uncomfortable place to live. 
But what comes with the lion Aslan, even when he roars, uh, there is a warmth that blows in Narnia and the green shoots of spring begin to appear and the wintry landscape is cracked and broken and uh, spring can appear. This sort of idea of a season change, this is something I've been writing about, but to bring about season change takes a lot of practical step-by-step understanding of what change brings. Well, it does. And you've just described the difference between when you see somebody who was salt and light in the world and someone who is just following a bunch of rules. That's one of the big things that I see in organisations these days is that there's, such a, that there's such a focus on processes and systems and procedures instead of focusing on relationships first. And we see so much of that in organisations these days and they're being sold, those sorts of things. I've worked in programs where I said, well, um, I can see where you're going with this, the fact that you're wanting to uh, fix this supply chain. Um, you know, what are you going to be looking at? Well, we're going to be looking at the processes and the systems and the procedures. And I said, and are you also looking about how the policies are actually integrating with those policies, processes and procedures? Oh, no, 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 that would be far too much work. I said, so how then are you going to get your values right in those processes and procedures? Because what you're saying to me is that you're just going to ignore the policies and the policies have to follow the governance, the government, uh, the, the regulatory pr- framework, uh, you know, falls down into the policies. So if you're not going to be doing that, how do you know that these processes and procedures are actually going to be, even be legal in the future? Let's talk about government regulatory frameworks because anyone who's a leadership in any organisation might be familiar with the fact that, yes, organisations are accountable for what they do. The government is trying to make them accountable for what they do and uh, you're across some of the detail here by way of what's called ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance Accountability, those sorts of regulations that govern business. What are your thoughts here about how business has to be under this sort of accountability? Well, governance is one of those things that have to sit that has to sit over everything. It doesn't really matter whether or not it's environmental or social change or technology change or any sort of organisational change that you know that an organisation will have to go through. We're looking at uh, at the environment and social at the moment because that's where most of the upheaval is. They are the current trends. But a little while ago, it was about governance. It was about information technology. Now that's moved, the spotlight has moved to, you know, we're two minutes to midnight on the environment. So we have to be doing something. And the reason why we're not doing anything is because the governance is skewed. The governance is skewed in favour of Marmon. The governance is skewed in favour of having of keeping things the same, where clearly that's not working what we've been doing in the environment is actually destroying the environment. And so we've got to change how that governance thinks and how it needs to be structured so that we can get some sanity back in there again. Because otherwise, we're all going to be, um, we're, we're, you know, we're going to have a bad time. Then we've got the social environment, which has been radically changed over the last 70 years. And we see, you know, we see things that are just so foreign to us now where we've got to get the governance right with that sort of thing. You know, we are seeing people now being terribly harmed by some of the changes that are coming in. You're seeing families fragmented. You you know, um, Wendy Francis was just talking about the difficulties of it all. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I have great hope in the world that, you know, that that a greater, that there's a greater um, 
a greater humanity about it all. And so we now see that the law is now starting to push back against that, where we see legislation in America, in, a, in England that has allowed uh, damage to be done to, to certain parties of the, in the social environment. But, they, but the law is now there to protect the innocent and is, giving, is providing a framework for parents, families and all that sort of stuff to, um, to stop what is l- literally um, t- t- hurting everybody. It's hurting the people involved, everybody. It's hurting our, our whole society. So I have great faith in the fact that we still have laws in place that will change, that will move back the, the, some of the more ridiculous elements of the social changes that we're seeing at the moment. And I think we need to have a lot of confidence in that. But yes, we will have those sorts of, um, we will have those same sorts of uh, legislative um, uh, problems in Australia too, you know, where you will see families that just, you know, um, join together and they will take these people to court and they'll be vindicated. A wonderful insight if you think deeply about the things you're sharing here. The thought that there are all sorts of currents and undercurrents. Uh, there are all sorts of ways that our laws are changing. Our legislators are being influenced by all sorts of influences. Uh, we might even say uh, that there are so many things going woke right now. We can link that to the thought of this deepening secularization. And this happens not just in government and those legislators and the way they're legislating, but what happens actually in business. And it starts at the top. It starts around the boardroom table and it filters down into the executive of that organisation and to the middle managers who are implementing the policies that are coming from the top and right down to the workers. So it starts at the boardroom table, Christina. This is where uh, those organizations have to be thinking very, very deeply about the things that they do. They could actually have a woke uh, policy that comes from the board or they could have a Christianized policy that comes from the board. This is the sort of thing I get uh, on my uh, my hobby horse a little bit about, but, but this is where it starts, at the top, at the board. Actually, it starts before that. It starts with the law of the land. And um, good governance is about ensuring that the law of the land is implemented in your organisation, whether or not you're government or not-for-profit organisation or n- no matter who it is. And I'm, I'm thinking of Daniel, who, you know, spent 70 years in, um, in was it Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, under Nebuchadnezzar and, of course, uh, in Babylon. Yeah, yeah, uh, he was Nebuchadnezzar in Nebuchadnezzar and then later uh, Cyrus. Yes. Uh, yes, so yes, there was a bit of a changing of the guard and that's why it gets complicated. But yes, that's right. 70 years in Babylon and that's Daniel and his, his mates, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And the way that they survived that environment was by living a godly life but living it in obedience to the law. Now, you might say, well, haven't we gotten to the point where there is a great a great conflict for the individual. No, I don't see any conflict. As long as I'm doing what God expects from me um, and I'm following the law of the land, then um, there shouldn't be a conflict. And this is the beautiful part about God, I think, is that he just tells us to love him and to love one another and to love others as you love yourself. So I have come to understand that those three elements for me give me great peace even though there are difficulties in the world and difficulties 
in the land in terms of some of this legislation that's coming through. I think if we just stick to what it is that God wants from us, we will eventually um, push through and pass this t- this dark time. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Christina Dean. Christina leads Uni Forte. She is a management consultant, a trainer, a coach and mentor. Christina, just before the break, we were talking about what happened in Babylon. The children of Israel, uh, they were taken off to Babylon. They were under the leadership of a foreign power. And eventually, when they were challenged and they recognized that God, the transcendent God of the Israelites, his law was higher than the laws of Nebuchadnezzar and any other leader. Eventually, though, we recognize that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. So if you make a stand in your organization and have some level of embedding of your Christian faith in there, you may be tested. Well, expect to be tested, you know, because the Lord didn't pray for us to be taken out of the world, but he prayed that we might that we might um that we might be able to overcome the world in him. And for me, I know that uh, at a very personal level and at a business level, I've had to overcome a great number of difficulties and I would not have overcome those difficulties. We're going to call him difficulties today, but another word for Satan. Um, Overcome those difficulties by just hanging in there with the Lord and trusting him and knowing that he will come through. In the same way that the Lord came through for Daniel, he also came through for his three mates who were thrown into the fiery furnace. So to me, that's a double message that I told you that this is what happened. And I'm, and if you follow me and do as I say, um, everything will be okay. So the Christian believer who finds themselves in a leadership role might be the on a board of directors, might be the CEO, might be senior management in an organization, and they're holding tight to a Christian ethic, to understanding God's presence understanding who they are and walking a tightrope each day, but then in all of that, expecting that they will be tested and a tested faith may well need to go to a point where you are in the lion's den or the fiery furnace and, in that sense, needing to see the deliverance of our God. Very much so. And if you are such a leader, then, you know, it's it's very important to protect your people because that's what the Lord does. You're as a leader, that's what our role is. We're here to protect them. We're here to guide them into the future. And uh, as a leader, you know, that person is accountable for the culture of that organization. And leaders and managers have got a lot to think about these days. And, uh, uh, you know, t- technology takes up a lot more of their time too. And so having trustworthy people organized throughout the organization to help them is critical to this, their success. If they have that, and I've got a bit of a, a methodology here that they might like to follow around that in order to be able to stick within the law, but even so have a culture that you can that you know that is right behind you, that's right with you. Let me ask you, as you deliver a thought or two in some of these very practical uh, insights into leaders, 
It seems to me there's a key word in an understanding of what happens in our organisations today, and that's the word trust. Mm. Uh, give us your insights here, and we'll we'll be able to you know have some sort of way of uh, being able to filter these into our own thoughts as we're thinking about the organisations we're a part of. Absolutely. Well, I have this wonderful little box that I draw, and in the middle box is the word trustworthy, and in the little box above it is the word uh, reliable. Reliable means that um, you've invited me to be here today and I've turned up early, so I'm reliable. And hopefully I'll stick to the script. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And then to the left of the word trustworthy is another little box and it's called competent. And it's about um, people being um, capable of doing what what they're responsible for doing. And the word underneath it in another little box is called benevolent, which is that you walk in the world having a a, a kind thought for the other human beings walking around on the same planet with you because we all share this planet and it's our society. And then to the other side of the box is another little word and it's called integrity. And those words include um, having integrity is leading a principled life and it depends on what you want to put into that principled life and that's that's the most important part. Now if you get, can get all of those four things together then you could be called trustworthy Trust and integrity, and a lot of Christian believers listening to our conversation will recognise that golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. These are the words of Jesus. And so trust and integrity, there's some big responsibility that sits on the shoulders of anyone who is a leader, anyone who's serving their organisation because they are not only protecting the organisation, they're protecting the people who work within their organisation. The implication here is that the culture of the organisation has to have change that happens from the top down. So this sort of trust and this sort of integrity has to start with those people in government and on our boards. Most definitely. Um, People look to their leaders. They need leaders. That's what leaders are for. Managers are there to keep things going pretty much on a day-to-day basis and to keep the wheels from falling off, and that's your business from day to day. But leadership is about leading into the future, taking someone into the future, taking other leaders into the future. And the way to do that is um, is to ensure that you have a, a great um, reputation yourself. And, you know, reputation is something that the Lord speaks about. There are a hundred verses about reputation in the Bible. It says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor because it's better than silver and gold. So a good reputation is really quite critical. Creating a culture of trust starts with leaders because leaders create the environment of change, whether or not they do it, whether they know it or not. Um, leaders are responsible and accountable for deciding on the direction of the organization and the products and the services that it has. Leaders are responsible and, yes, accountable for the other leaders that they raise up. So whatever a leader is doing, somebody else will be watching that person. The importance of culture in the preparation of change can't be ignored. The legendary management consultant Peter Drucker used to say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And he was making the point that no matter how good organisational strategies and planning are, they stand or fall depending on whether or not the culture is for them against it or sitting on the fence. When people are not being treated as they need to be treated, they react in a political manner. They reject whoever is doing it. 
All political parties, businesses, churches and other organisations struggle with that very normal human behaviour and it is that very normal human behaviour that the Lord gave us because it's all about, he gave us this one wonderful thing called choice and that is freedom. And that when we see our freedoms taking, taken away from us, that's when most of us will rise up and go, hey, wait a minute, that's not on. I love hearing you talk about the identity of the leader and trust and integrity, and we recognise that if you're a Christian and you're in business and you're leading organisations, this sort of integrity has to be there. If it's not there, it's going to affect an organisation for the worse because your lack of integrity and lack of trust will eventually filter down into that organisation. So big responsibility on those organisational leaders. And this is where, if we're talking faith, this is this extra responsibility, this extra burden on us when we're in leadership. This has to be a part of who we are. It is, because culture is like character. The character that uh, within the characters within that culture have an identity that distinguishes them. An example of identity is a person's name, or in a corporate context, an example of identity is a company's name. The company's reputation is associated with that name. So it's important to ensure that the company's culture reflects the reputation that the organisation wants to have or retain. That starts with its leaders because if they don't have a good name, the company's name will be impacted. It's easy to find people who have impacted the reputation of the organisation for good or for bad. In the government sector, leaders or parties and, of, and public services can raise up or bring down the government's reputation and unfortunately such occurrences are in the news almost daily now. And it is in the corporate sector, um, as it is in the corporate sector, and also in the social sector. And the social sector, by the way, includes the church. So we can't, you know, we can't sort of skate past this and say living glass houses. Churches are very, very responsible for some of their poor leadership as well. Christina, let's talk about reputation because while we're talking about reputation in business, uh, the reputation of the Christian church is it's sullied. It's taken some hits of recent times. You might even say the reputation is pretty poor. And it's not that God's reputation has been sullied. Jesus is still Jesus. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But our representation of him has taken a hit. And there's some reputational challenges, aren't there? What are you seeing about the church? Absolutely. The church is an organization the same as anything, any any organization it's filled with human beings, and human beings are flesh. And we know that they can be, you know, the, the evil one comes to rob, kill, and destroy them as well as you and I. So, you know, we're just, we're all just trying to get along on the same planet. So 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that not all of us who profess Jesus Christ are his ambassadors. So each of us carries the responsibility of advancing his reputation, especially through our own endeavors and actions. And, you know, in, in that way, we lead... Every one of us leads members of our family. We lead our organisations. We lead our communities. And when we bring disrepute to the church's reputation, it brings down Christ's reputation because he is the leader of all churches. It breaks down people's trust in him as it does when some greedy or corrupt non-Christian organisation behaves badly. Unfortunately, society now often judges and condemns others without a fair trial. And even when they are found not guilty, the doubt remains. Where trust is broken, people go from believing leaders to being disappointed, then begin to doubt, and then they distrust them. Then they reject them and often leave or seek revenge. 
I sometimes wonder if that's one of the reasons why there is a drop in Australian Christianity. The 2021 consensus, Neil, reported that there has been a drop of 16% in the Christian religion of 16, um, a drop of 16% in the Christian religion from 60% of the Australian population in 2011 to 44% in 2021, while Hinduism has increased by 2.7% of the Australian population and Islam has increased by 3.2%. Yes, those have been topics of conversation on this program and uh, where we've talked about the number of people in Australia who identify as Christian falling, uh, some have said that's symptomatic of a deepening secularization because people are not identifying as Christian. Uh, they're in fact tick, tick, ticking that other box on the census form, identifying as no religion, we're nuns. And so as you also identify there, Christina, you know, the rise in the numbers who are identifying with Hinduism or the rise in the numbers who are identifying with Islam. Now, some of that is because of uh, migration issues uh, and others, of course, of families that are growing and becoming established here in Australia. The thing that worries us, though, would be the fact that people are ticking the no religion box and the numbers who are identifying with Christian going down, and that might have something to do with the reputation of the church. Mm. And it's not just the church leaders. It's those Christians who are in the pews mm. who are in business. Mm. And so not being Christian in their business pursuit, being as secularized as everybody else, might actually do some damage to the reputation of the church overall. So... There's a big responsibility on people who are in business and leadership Absol- to actually get some things right. Absolutely, it's this. You know, you can't be uh, if you if you call yourself a Christian and you and you espouse yourself as a Christian and you're a leader in an organisation. It doesn't matter what level of the leader you're in an organisation, but if you then behave badly, that brings disrepute not just on yourself, but you're also on God. And some you know some of us need to take a long look in the mirror and go, okay, fine, Lord, I'm really sorry about that. Um, I'll do better next time. It's about the doing better business. You know, none of us are perfect. And you're sitting next to somebody who probably has got a couple of chapters in my own book that I wouldn't like to see published. But the point is that you that you find the right way. And once you find the right way, you think to yourself, you know what, this actually really works. I said to my pastor just the other day, I said, you know, Pat, I've been sitting and coming to church for such a long time. I just want you to know that what you guys say, what you guys teach actually works and he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I listen. I'm an obedient soul and I do as I'm told. And, and I find that what I, when, I'm, when, I, when I do what you tell me to do, it actually works. And I'm just really following God's word. Every single pastor will want to hear that from someone who's listening to their week-in, week-out messages as they're looking to disciple and enhance and grow the people in the congregation. Uh, that's, well, that's a dream come true uh, to hear that, Christina, where uh, your pastor has heard you saying, you know what, what you're preaching actually works. Obedience to God is one of those things which sometimes we shy away from, but obedience to God is important. So obedience to God in our business enterprise, this is also important, and being trusting of God that his principles will work in our business because a lot of business people are looking at the bottom line. If I be more godly in my business, will I in fact increase? 
will my business prosper? And I think the history of the last 2,000 years and the growth of the Christian church to the biggest religious uh, body on the face of the earth is testament to the fact that Christians prosper when they obey God. That's something we need to be very, very conscious of. We do need to be conscious of it. And sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. And as Christian leaders, we're going to run into the same sorts of difficulties that everybody does. You know, um, if you happen to live in Lismore and you have a, a have a shop in the main street and you got flooded, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you know, good things happen and bad things happen to us all. But it's how we handle it at the time. Do we go about blaming and yelling and screaming or do we go about taking care of each other and looking after each other's needs and, and being where we need to be and guiding people into the future and giving them hope and courage? Or do we just go, oh, well, it's so-and-so's fault and it's so-and-so's fault and they should have done this and they should have done that. Well, yes, that's true, but it, it's not going to help right now. Let's just get in here and, and, and pull together. As we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, when you had me in talking about unity, it's all about how you handle the situation. And really, leaders can do so much more in their culture by, by garnering the support of the people that, that they already have with them. Um, I have a client in Melbourne. He's um, CEO of a finance organisation. And, of course, I can't tell you about who he is. But um, I've worked with him for about 18 months or so. And during the, um, during the pandemic crisis, being in Melbourne, you know, they were shut down for such a long, long time. And... Um, and when I was talking to one of his staff about some feedback for him, she said, I've got nothing to say. She said, you know, the guy actually gives a damn. And I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, you know, you and I both know he's a Christian. He doesn't talk about it a lot, but I know he goes to church. He goes, he's a Catholic and he goes to church. <clears throat> and he said, and she said, there were some bad things that happened to a lot of our people. <clears throat> but the way that he handled it was so terrific I never, I've never seen anybody be so kind and so caring and so thoughtful and didn't stop until the person was in really good shape. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she said, you know, he actually gives a damn. And I said, what does that mean for you? She said, well, I'm so proud to work for him. I don't care if he's a Christian or what he is, but he, he, showed, me a, he showed me a side of him that I hadn't seen before. You know, we work in finance, so it's all about money. But she said... There was this man who suddenly stepped out and he wasn't about the money because he gave lots of presents. He, he did everything he possibly could to help his people to get through this. And, you know, she said, I'm just in awe of him. I hadn't seen that side of him. She said, but the best part about it, Christina, was that there were other people in the organisation. And this is an organisation of about 600 people. And she said, but they started to step up and do the same thing for their own people. They all started to do the same thing. And she said, we are actually, as a culture, we are in better shape now than what we were before the pandemic. The leader makes the difference. Those values and the identity of the leader, they do filter down through into the organisation. Mm -hmm. And as I say in my book, oftentimes when you are the leader of an organisation and you are a Christian, it's the, the people that work for you, some of them, they don't go to church but when they come to work, they're at church. That's where they're learning the values of God. That's where they're learning yep. the culture that will actually enhance their own lives and protect the people that are in their own families and their own circle of influence. So there's this powerful thing about leadership, and mm -hmm. you've got to get the leadership right. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about changing things, mm -hmm. uh, it's not about tut-tut 
slap on the wrist, go and do better. Because you have to have some sort of process involved. This is where your expertise really comes to the fore, Christina, because you're working people through processes. You say, this is how, this is, you know, you get an accurate picture of someone's organization, and then you say, this is what we need to do to actually bring about change. So, there is process that's necessary to actually bring that Christian influence into your organization. Yes, well, I, I think if you think about the five different things that it takes really to manage change, and one is leadership, the other one is consultation. So those two things are very, very closely aligned. People often think that it's about the communication first, but it's actually the consultation, the consultation with people around you to find out um, if you actually have all the information necessary to make the to make decisions that have got to be made, then it gets to be about communication. Communication is about telling people the information that they need to have in order to do a better job, um, and in order to know where the organisation is going into the future, and how how that's all going to happen. So that's about communication, and you know, a lot of organisations are a bit blindsided these days by you know, oh, it's all about communication. It's not. And, you know, the communication has to come from the leader. Um, the leader n- needs to be able to communicate immediately with, the, with, the, with, with their direct people and then that leader needs to be able to communicate directly with their people and so on and so forth throughout the organisation. So it's not an abrogated responsibility. If you've got, a, if you've got a, uh, um, an activity happening throughout the organisation, it needs to touch on all of those different leadership points. Then you've got... Once, you, once you're going through the process of, of managing some sort of a change, whether or not it's a new piece of information technology or if it's, a, you know, if it's some social changes that you need to make or you've got new government regulations that you have to implement in the organisation and it has to be pushed down through the policies and the processes and the procedures and the guidelines and the templates because that's the line of – that's the chain of command through, an, through the systems view of the organisation – that's when people start to get involved, all the everyday people in the organisations who are responsible for making all of that happen. They need to understand why it's happening. Well, we've got a new regulation, therefore there's a new policy, therefore we need to look at our processes and procedures and whoever owns those processes and procedures then needs to change them. Otherwise, you have an organisation that's not obeying the law and you can't have that. You know, that gets into your governance and risk management. So there's, uh, there's that. Um, that's when the people in the organisation become heavily involved and they need to understand the purpose and importance of what they're doing, why they're doing it, why they're doing it now and why it matters to them and why it matters to other people as well, inter- internally and external to the organisation. Then they need to go through the process of um, teaching those whole new processes and procedures and guidelines and everything to a new generation of users of this new legislation or new social things that are coming in um, and that requires education so that's when the training comes in it's when you need to put in the training for people to understand what they're doing um, and sometimes you know, people can't sing and tap they won't all be able to sing and tap at the same time it might take them a while if it's complex or if they've got some some personal issues with what's being done as you know because people fight over two things it's either territory or values and you see that all the time that's what's at the heart of this whole division between secular and sacred where there's a battle going on here for territory and values you know the church wants to stick to its values and 
government wants more territory. You know, if you look at that from that point of view, it makes it very easy to sort of go, okay, fine, that's what you're doing. We're really trying, the territory being the people, the country, um, is anyway. And there are so many people who love rules and regulations yep. and love, you know, uh, Section 1, 3, uh, B or whatever it might be. Yes. Uh, those sorts of things as you're describing them. Mm. And uh, and for a lot of people who work in an organisation, there's all these uh, very uh, verbose, uh, you know, uh, policies and procedures and, oh, here we go again. But it's where those policies and procedures have been formulated and how they filter down into the organisation actually reflects the culture of the organisation and the reputation of the organisation will grow if those things are implemented and it will diminish if they are not. So we all need to be aware that what's coming from the top actually is going to benefit our organisation if we're going to implement those things. And there are two sides to that. Processes and procedures, etc., etc., are how we get our productivity done. That's how the organisation, it's a framework, it's the ground floor for, uh, for how we work around here. Um, but it's not all there is. The other part of it is how do we implement all of that? And there are two ways to do that. We do it with kindness and humility and gentleness and being careful of other people, or we do it by saying, I'm not here to make any friends today. This is what you're going to be doing. So it's it's a no-brainer to know that if you choose the latter, you're probably going to get a lot of resistance and they'll find all sorts of creative ways not to do what you want them to do. Christina, is there a sense in which if you're interested as the leader of an organisation in the safety and well-being of your workforce and the safety and the well-being of your customer client base, that somehow in all of that, our, our Christian ethic, if that shines through, is going to enhance people's lives. Uh, your thoughts here, because the safety of people isn't just about physiological safety or their psychological safety. Is there a spiritual safety that we need to be prepared to engage with? Mm. The soul knows what the soul wants, and the soul knows that it needs to be loved. And it, it and, you know, it's no-brainer, really. I mean, the great creator created us, and so that's how we're shaped. So if all of a sudden you turn on me and I start feeling cold and icy and frigid like the like a white witch um, in a white witch territory, I'm going to probably go and turn my um, – go and find somewhere else to be because you're just simply not a safe person to be. But if you're always kind to me and you're thoughtful of me um, and – you know, you are considerate of me. We used to call this civility, Neil. And I think that that's what's left a lot of our organisations. Where is the civility gone? Sometimes dignity, I think, is at the heart of these issues. And oftentimes on this program, we'll be talking about human dignity in relation to some of the very obvious things like uh, uh, life issues, whether it's abortion or it's euthanasia and the way that human dignity is being watered down by those sorts of things. But dignity in the workplace where people are significant, where people are important, if you don't have a Christian ethic applied in your workplace around that sort of dignity, then somehow or other you're treating your people as second class, uh, not quite so important. So these sorts of Christian principles being embedded in our whole policy and procedures that come from the top down 
This is really a Christian way of actually making sure people in your business see themselves as being important. Exactly. There's a lot more um, focus on the United Nations uh, 15 laws these days than there ever has been. And it's because that we see such an erosion of uh, Christian uh, Christians behaving like Christians um, that we have to have more and more laws. But unfortunately, the legislative framework isn't nearly as uh, sophisticated as God's framework. Um, and they don't like talking about things like love and care. And yet, it is actually the most important thing that we can be doing as leaders is to care for our people. There was a few years ago I had a major turning point and I had to learn what love was again. And um, and I, I may or may not write a book about it one day, but it transformed me. It helped me to understand that there are various things that the Lord does that nobody else can do for me. Um, and sometimes you're so broken you can't do it for yourself anymore either, let alone do it for someone else. And I found that the most important thing um, for me was knowing that God was with me, that his presence was there. And interestingly enough, I learned from research that there is no more greater thing than employees need from their boss than to know their presence. They Leaders totally underestimate how much their people want their presence. They totally underestimate that. And when I say that to some of the leaders that I work with, you know, how are you seeing your people on a day-to-day basis? How does your day start? How do you, how do you start their day, et cetera, et cetera? It's um, how do you start their day knowing that you're there for them, with them? Wonderful insight today, Christina Dean. Uh, the thought that as the boss... As the leader of an organisation, you are having such a dramatic impact on the staff and the culture and the reputation of your business or your organisation. And let's even bring into there the church, because these things are so, so powerful. We have run out of time, and I do want to point people to how they can connect with you. Uh, Your website, Uniforte, and let me spell that, U-N-I-F-O-R-T-E dot com dot A-U, Uniforte dot com dot A-U. And Christina, you typically work with all sorts of secular organizations and government departments, and uh, some of the organizations you've worked for, people will be able to check on your website, very, very large organizations with uh, hundreds or thousands of employees. Uh, Those are the sorts of levels you're used to working at. But I do know that you're also interested in working with churches because churches have got their own change management issues and there are challenging environments that we're in. You're happy to work with churches. I would just love to work with churches. And the reason is is that um, I'm a bit hampered with the amount of work that I can do in government. It can it can come across as values and so on, and but that's great. And you can teach government an awful lot. And certainly our work has gone a long, long way to establish better ways of managing change. But in the church environment, I mean, I see them under tremendous pressure. I see the fraction, you know, the the breaking down, the the divisions that are happening. And I, and you know, as you know, Uniforte stands for unity. So for me, I think no, 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 no. You've got to get back together, guys. Get you know, find the way through. Find God's way through this. Let me let me help you to do that. Let me ask you the right questions that will guide you back to the common sense that you know, and the and the wisdom that's within you. Um, I've recently said to one of one of the churches that I'm that I'm working with 
So tell me, how are you preparing the people in your congregation for Christ's return? And there was just deadly silence. And I said, well, you seem to have a lot of processes and lots of, you know, lots of programs and things. How are they all preparing God, preparing for God's return, Christ's return? And he said, I can't give you an answer to that. And I said, is it an important question, do you think? And he said, yeah. He said, you've just ruined my holiday. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of dimensions that church leaders work with. And uh, there are a lot of things that every individual Christian believer, and everybody's on a different level in their journey. It's, uh, you know, this sort of curve, uh, the the learning curve that we're all on and uh, getting people onto the right page and all growing together. Those things are challenging. But Christina, wonderful insights once again today uniforte.com.au and for those that might be interested in getting a hold of my book you can get that at the Vision store simply go to vision.org.au and you'll be able to get a copy of Public Christians in a Secular Age uh, Christina, wonderful and let's get this uh, another one of these segments together another time soon because uh, you've got some wonderful wisdom to share it's also practical And yet, uh, it's just powerful as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.